Welcome to the Rocks and Roots podcast. Tumbles here and Crank and I have a wonderful episode coming your way with our guest, James Appleton. James Appleton is the host of the 46 of 46 podcast. It is a podcast all about the Adirondacks, the high peaks, the low peaks, the trails, the bike paths, the ski trails, and everything in between. He's been doing his podcast since 2019, starting by documenting his own 46 uh, adventure. And we spent over an hour with James talking about the trails, talking about the Adirondacks in general, talking about some of the politics in the park, and just all around having a great time with him. James, if you are listening, thank you so much for joining us, and we can't wait to have you back. Now, if you hear some wrestling in the background, I was a bit under the weather the evening we did the podcast, so I apologize in advance if you hear some rustling. Other than that, time to plug. Find us on Instagram, rocks underscore and underscore roots underscore pod. We are on TikTok, rocks, rocks <laughs> underscore roots underscore podcast. We also have a Patreon. If you're enjoying the show, please consider giving some dollars to us to keep the show going. We do pay for our Podbean account as well as our Zoom account. So any help is greatly appreciated. Also, we love hearing from you guys, so please send us a DM on Instagram. Send us a message. I'll leave a comment on um, Apple Podcasts. Love to hear from our listeners. If you have anyone you think would enjoy being on the show, let us know. Right. Other than that, here is our episode with James Appleton. Welcome to the Rocks and Roots podcast, coming at you from the comfort of our own homes today. I am one of your hosts, Tumbles, and with me as always is... Cranky, and we are super excited because today we have a very special guest. We would like to welcome Mr. James Appleton. James is a successful... Adirondack 46er and the host of the 46 of 46 podcast, which we cannot recommend enough. And we've recommended him a lot on our own podcast. So for those that haven't been listening, shame on you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we did. First of all, thank you so much for being here and welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much, and that was a that was a very nice uh, nice introduction to me. I appreciate that. That you're very kind, uh, and thanks for listening to my show as well. That's that's awesome. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Um, you are a plethora of information. Usually, great, great. Uh, we try to get it in before we go, but if we are doing anything in the Adirondacks, we try to listen to your episode on that peak first. Um, definitely when we're done, we go, Oh, I wonder what James thought about this. So either way, whenever we go up to the Adirondacks to do any peak, we listen to your specific episode on that. So, um, and you've definitely inspired us to start our own 46 journey. We are six in tumble seven. Uh, let's see. Wolf jaws. Uh, then we did Marcy together and then we did, 
Phelps and Cascade and Porter. Yes, we are six in. Fantastic. Yeah, so you have been one of the people to inspire us to start our own journey. But let's start with your background. So I'm going to throw a bunch of questions at you, and then you can take however much time you need to dissect them. Um, So you're in Lake Placid now. Are you originally from that area? Yeah, I grew up, I grew up right here in Lake Placid. And then, you know, like, like what most people do, they go away, you know, for college, and then they live other places. And then eventually, um, they sometimes come back. And uh, I came back uh, in my like, uh, mid 20s, late or late 20s. And um, yeah, but I when I came back, so I grew up in Lake Placid. And when you grow up here, you know, you do things in the outdoors, because it's just like, it's what you do here. But I yes. wouldn't say I wouldn't call myself nearly the outdoorsman that I kind of became, you know, in like, let's say, call it round two of being back in the area. Uh, that is when I get I think I really took I took advantage of what this park offers and what's around. And then it suddenly becomes like a totally new place, um, which is awesome. And, you know, it's it's a place that. There is never-ending activities to do in the outdoors here. So, yeah, I would say you, I grew up here, you know, and outdoors culture is just part of the culture. So, like, you do hiking and you do this, you do that. But, like, I didn't – it didn't become, like, my life, I should say, until uh, coming back here the second time. So when you came back, what inspired you to start your 46-year journey and really start exploring the park? Yeah, sure. So – um, so before we moved back, my wife and I, I was, uh, I played in a band and, you know, touring around the country and whatnot. And I always was like drawn to when we would get out West, you know, North, the Pacific Northwest, or just, you know, the Rocky mountain, that area I was like, Oh, I just love the mountains. I love the outdoors and this and that. And then I just remember literally being on tour and I was in Oregon and I said to myself, no wonder you like this. This is literally what you, where you grew up. This is what it looks like around you. So that's why you're so drawn to it. And yet you never really took advantage of it. So I just, I still remember that like light bulb moment, you know, uh, on the road. And then when I came back, when we came back, it was just kind of the, the time to take advantage, I should say. And we were living down on Long Island. Um, I work mostly in New York city and still to this day, I do a lot of traveling on I-87, <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. so when we came back, part of it was just like we wanted to be back in, in you know, where you get used to mountains being around you everywhere you drive and then you leave and then it's like that's when you start to notice it's like so flat where I live. I don't see anything in the distance and then you come back and you see it and you're just like, yep, there's a reason that I like that so much. And then, yeah. So as I mentioned this, when I came, we came back, that's when I just, it, it just took over my life. I should say, I mean, cause we, I just took advantage of it finally, basically. Well, I mean, we think the same thing because we live in, um, Northern New Jersey, mm-hmm. relatively flat. I mean, I don't call the, the hills of Alamuchi state park and mountains by any stretch. Uh, so when we travel up 87 and the first glimpse of the Catskills were like, all right, we're getting somewhere. And then we continue sure. further up past Albany and finally we see some more considerable mountains and we're like, oh, oh if only we lived closer. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally get it. And it, it really it really did come down to a you don't know what you got till it's gone uh, sort of mentality. Precisely. And uh, it, it rings true 100 percent or did with me at least. 
Now, we, um, if our listeners listened to our Jonathan Zaharik episode, we did ask him some background questions about the park, but can you give our listeners a bit of of background and talk about the Adirondack Mountains? How many are there? Explain the 46. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, so the Adirondack Park, it's in northern New York. Um, it, it's bigger than the state of Vermont. It's bigger than, you know, take the five biggest national parks that you can think of in America, um, Yellowstone, Glacier, the Smokies, you know, the um, Grand Canyon National Park. All of those, if you put them into one lump, it still is smaller than what the Adirondack Park is. Um, in 1892, it was just it was the first of its kind as being like constitutionally deemed a forever wild forest preserve. And it is made up of public and private land. So like pretty much you can picture a protected wilderness and a certain percentage of it has to at all times be protected. So that's like kind of part of it. And, uh, you know, there are just towns built in yeah. in it which is why it's such a unique and kind of rare gem of a, of a place. And definitely, a, I wouldn't say like it's a secret in the outdoors and in terms of like people don't know about it because in the Northeast it's as it's the most popular place that people go, but like outside the Northeast, no one knows what the Adirondacks are. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's very popular for the people around here and completely well un, unknown for people outside the northeast it feels like um but uh yeah so as far as the high peaks go so there's 46 high peaks which is basically mountains that are over 4,000 feet and there's a couple of them that aren't but um basically that's what makes up the 46 high peaks and to become an adirondack 46er as it's called you hike all 46 and there's an organization that does uh they just do god's work it's called the adirondack 46ers and uh, you know you you just you you know you become a part of that kind of world and it's a it's an accomplishment in and of itself to hike all 46 high peaks and it is a journey i always use that word on my show because that is what it is you are a different person by the end that you were when you started but that's what the 46 high peaks are and i mean here here in the adirondacks there um as i mentioned you know it's like it's bigger than the, in the entire state of vermont and that's just that's a wilderness so you picture like that whole state just being mountains. So there's over 3,000 lakes, rivers, and streams in the Adirondack Park. Paddling is the enormous activity. I'd argue it might even be more popular than hiking, especially with local people. I would definitely say kayaking is more popular than hiking. Um, but as far as mountains go, you know, there's the 46 over 4,000 feet. And there's actually more, um, but like they're closer and they don't necessarily, they're not, they don't fit like the, the rules of what makes a quote 46 or high peak, but that's a whole other thing. But then there's, you know, there's hundreds of mountains over 3000 feet and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of mountains over 2000 feet. So it's, it has everything in terms of size. And um, yeah, most of the trails up the high peaks, they are, they were cut a long time ago with the intent of like most people from the Northeast, we want to get from A to B as quickly as possible. And they just go straight up. <laughs> so yeah. like, you know, the whole idea that you see out West with switchbacks and stuff, that's not so popular around here. So, you know, well, they are 4,000 feet in elevation. They, uh, you know, you're going to be huffing and puffing and the elevation gain on all of these mountains is, is tremendous. So, you know, it's, it's its own world and it's, you know, the Adirondacks definitely has a cult following. And, um, I am the type of person where I want to share, uh, 
this place with anybody who wants to receive it. So that's kind of my whole vibe. I just want to share what this does, what the outdoors has done in terms of transforming my own life, what this park has done. And this park too, I always say, and as I mentioned earlier, I you know, played in a band and toured around the country for so long and you know, have just explored everywhere it, uh, within the country. And there's nowhere else around this country that has so many trails so accessible in such a small radius. I mean, you drive top to bottom in the park and you're going to pass just hundreds of actual trails like, you know, DEC maintained, you know, trailhead parking and like there's just everywhere you can drop you can go there's just so many trails so that's what makes this you know kind of an outdoors paradise because you know i live here in lake placid and if i want to go hike i you know within five miles there's you know uh 15 different trailheads i could go to and and that's pretty much that's pretty much for the most part the case around the entire six million acres so that's why i say it's just kind of this this real paradise and just it's giant playground with Mm -hmm. trees really we couldn't agree more and i really like what you said that it's its own world um Mm -hmm. you know when you are driving up 87 and when you kind of cross that barrier where you're seeing the high peaks just every time we do that we just get almost this euphoric feeling um it's just a you're absolutely right it's a completely different world and then we have almost as much fun exploring the towns as we do exploring the trails. We started, um, we were up there to do Whiteface, did not go so well in the middle of February with mm-hmm. negative 11 and sure. 30, 40 mile an hour winds. We, we almost made it. Uh, we have to go back this summer. But we took that opportunity to drive around and just see some of the other towns besides Keene and besides Lake Placid. And just every town up there is extremely unique. Um, yeah, we it's... were up there, I mean, the just the weekend before we got up. Actually, it was two or three days before we yeah, got was... up there was the horrible flooding that was taking place up in the park. And just the devastation up there was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's something that, you know, people kind of forget. Yeah, there are towns up there and and not yeah. so much infrastructure. Yeah, that's, I mean, I've, I've always, you know, I've all argued on my show that infrastructure is what we need to improve upon in the Adirondack Park um, and limiting people coming here because there's such a demand to be here. Um, from a tourist perspective, we shouldn't be limiting people coming here. We should be upping our infrastructure to accommodate the demand. Because, like, what an amazing, you know, for these little towns, what an amazing problem, you know, problem to have that yes. people want to come here. They want to come experience what you see every day. And uh, to me, I think, I don't know, I think that's a great problem to have. And, uh, yeah, infrastructure is definitely it needs it needs an improvement and uh it is slowly improving and that's uh that's my hope as we as we move forward here uh, in the world we will definitely touch on that later in our conversation but um i think one of the things that really impressed us about your podcast and you is we heard you make that argument i think with Kyle O'Grady um mm-hmm. when you guys were on each other's shows and we're like yes we agree 100% Because a lot of what you see, and again, we'll touch on this later on, is, like you said, not 
upping infrastructure, but the argument should be we should limit people, and that's it's disheartening. Yes. But we we will get there in more detail as we go through our conversation. Um, so your 46er journey, you did it in one summer, which mm-hmm. is very impressive. We followed your journey through your podcast. Can't recommend our listeners enough. If you haven't, go listen to James. Um, he gives an amazing summation of each of the peaks that he did. Um, fantastic podcast. But your format is really, really unique because you do some audio recording as you are hiking and then you edit it all together. So what is that process like? Like how much audio do you record as you're hiking? And then how long does it take to do the narration and put it all together for an episode? Yeah, sure. It is It is a process. Um, it is a big process. And actually, it's funny because that's why um, as time went, you know, that's what all my sh- episodes were, were hiking. And then I, I introduced some like new format shows on the podcast that I call Summit Sessions, which are uh, podcasts like we're doing where we just talk because that helped me to be able to get episodes out faster and uh, more uh, more efficiently because the the hiking episodes, yeah, it takes a long time because you got to think like, well, I have to go hike the mountain first and then I have to write what – so if you haven't listened to the, the podcast, basically I my whole desire is to make – listeners feel like they're not commuting to work in their car but they're right there on the trail with me so i i kind of i hike a mountain and then i go home and i i just write the what the day was and i just narrate it like a you know a narrator in a movie and then i record that and i edit it and i add all the sound effects to make you feel like you can hear me walking up the mountain or you can hear the river. Once I talk about, you know, crossing over the river, I'll, you know, have sounds of rivers. I just want to create this landscape idea. So you feel like you're in the woods with me and not, you know, sitting in traffic trying to get over the George Washington bridge. So that's kind of like the whole point of the, the podcast. And I also have, you know, as you mentioned, I record audio while I'm on the trail. A lot of that is, so I, I remember, you know, those little details of the day, because, you know, when I'm out there with the intention of turning it into an episode, I want to remember all those little details. And it's actually really funny because the first season of the show, when I did my 46er journey, I, you know, I had finished that. I had finished my 46er journey a few months before I came up with the idea for the podcast. So I actually went back and I had taken a notebook, you know, you can written, notes about each day because i just wanted to remember you know my own 46er journey you know so i had a notebook but it actually was pretty wild how many details would come back to your brain when you would put yourself back to that time and like okay so that's right this day i went to the trailhead and oh yeah i ran into that person at the trailhead and then you just like in your brain you just start going up the trail and it's it little details were pretty wild what, what kind of came back to my brain but as time has progressed the show has gotten better and i've gotten more detailed the writing has improved and yeah i record audio sound bites while i'm up there partly to remember a lot of the those little details but also to just really you know let the listener feel like you know you're right there in the woods because that's where i am recording this you know this sound bite right now and i, I definitely take like a documentary approach with the whole 
with the whole show. But yeah, it's it's a it's quite the process. <laughs> I wish it was quicker. I wish it was easier. Um, but it, that is that it, it takes a long time to to pump out episodes in that format, which is why I also created more formats. And uh, just as a listener, I was just I was just like, well, some people prefer you know conversational podcasts like we're doing right now, and then. I'm more of a listener of like those kind of really edited, highly edited docu style podcasts. That's just what I listen to. So that's clearly how I gravitated towards it. But yeah, it, they, they take a while, but as the show has evolved, has, has gone forward, it has evolved certainly quite a bit. I mean, it's, it's so fun. appreciated the amount of work you put in because I do enjoy those sound bites of the, of the rippling brook and, and the mm-hmm. leaves on the trees. Uh, it, Brings the me back. Doors. Yeah, exactly. It brings me back to an episode you did. I believe it was it last year with Jonathan, and he was running. You were driving, and yep. <laughs> I'm sure that took you quite a long time because you had to splice his stuff in with yours. Yep. Yeah, it was a. That's actually one of my favorite episodes, and that's, that's one of our favorites favorite. as well. Yeah. Oh, cool, cool. I'm glad you listened to it. Yeah, Jonathan and I talked about that episode, doing that for a while, and there will be a. A rematch this summer. Uh, Zaharik wants a rematch, so we will be doing <laughs> nice. part two. But yeah, that's that was a fun idea that we just kind of like formed and went for it because Jonathan had been talking about it forever. He's like, I could beat a car. I could beat a car. So I was like, okay, well, let's do it. <laughs> I gave him a recorder. I had a recorder, and we, you know, we told our stories. But yeah, it was definitely a, a fun episode. It's it's unique, you know. I just some like an idea we had and just kind of ran with it. But yeah, that that's one of my one of my episodes that I. I like to tell people to check out if they want to hear the show. Um, you know, there's like four or five episodes I probably tend to recommend, but that's that's always one of them. So I'm glad you guys liked it too. It, it went over very well with people. Oh, we were, la- we were laughing our, our, our tushes off. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we yep. were actually coming back from the Adirondacks while we were listening to that. I think we had done Phelps. Phelps. We were up in Vermont. And coming back from Vermont, we stopped and we got an Airbnb. We did Phelps. Did not enjoy Phelps. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> did not. Enjoy, it's our least favorite one so far. Okay. But um, yeah, we popped that one on. And my wife is not a hiker, um, and she thoroughly enjoyed it because it was it's accessible to non-hikers as well. So mm-hmm. the three of us had a blast listening to that on the way home. Awesome. Glad glad to hear. Yeah, because I mean. Certainly my podcast, you know, it's unique in the sense of like, it's probably the exact opposite as to what anybody creating something should do, which is like, you know, I, my show is like as niche as you could get, like what we're doing, like we do an outdoors podcast. So already that's very niche. Yes. And then to make mine even more niche where it's like, okay, it's about the outdoors, but it's about a specific place. It's like, you're really limiting your, uh, the, uh, audience potential but i'm glad that someone who's not into into hiking enjoyed that that's that's great to great to hear certainly yeah absolutely um so let's talk about your 46er journey um have you just done one round i'm assuming you've done some of these two three four times have you just done one round of 46 or two or where exactly are you i'm actually only one full round um there's a few there's a few ranges I have to get back to that I just haven't but then there's other mountains I've done seven or eight times you know so okay. it's kind of the, kind of that sort of thing but I've only done two or one official round and I'll probably finish the other one this summer it's just like 
you know, there's there's a few a few mountains. It's it's the Seward Range and the Dix Range I have to tackle again. It's you know, for me, it's quite you know, I should shouldn't say it's quite a drive. Most people drive really far to get here, but for me, I just like ah, do I want to drive all the way there and have that gigantic day, or just go hike this mountain again because it's <laughs> quick and it's, it's right by my house. So that tends to be what I do because for me it really was like once I fought, finished the first round because as I, as you mentioned before I did it in this in one summer so I had this very much like um time frame to do it um I think I think in the month of July I did 28 high peaks that month um I was awesome. just shy of like averaging one a day unfortunately I didn't quite get there but then I but then I went over that like I think on August 2nd I think I was my last hike before that of that like kind of time frame, So it was almost 30 peaks in 30 days, but, um, yeah, I just haven't gotten back to those other, those other mountains, but I will eventually, <laughs> I will eventually, but yeah, since I did that, that first round so quickly, it really was like, I just want to get that accomplished. And at that point I just, I have no, uh, I have no time frame or really, you know, like for example, my winter 46, it'll get done eventually, but I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not like, checking off the boxes like I did with the first round. Right. Makes sense. And we are definitely jealous that you are so close. Like mm-hmm. for us to do one peak, it's a five hour drive. Yeah, it's, sure. Yeah. It's further than going to Virginia for us. All so. right. And for me, Virginia feels like it's like a million miles away, but of course <laughs> yes, you're in Northern sure. North Jersey. So, yes. but also too, I always say the trade-off is, you know, it's like people, people, people always like rag on me because I always complain like, oh, I'm not going to drive 20 minutes to go to a trailhead when <laughs> I can go to six right around my house. But it's like, but I also have to drive an hour just to get like a pair of pants, you know? So yes. yeah, uh, that's, kind of, or, that's kind of the trade-off. And well, you, fortunately, you travel for work too. So. Yes. Oh yeah. And that's another, that's actually a, a big reason where like, adding the travel time to what I do to like my recreation is like not, not up my alley. Cause I spend, I have a lot of windshield time in my, in my lifestyle. So yeah, I like to avoid it uh, when it comes to recreation. When I don't, when I like, I can, because there's so many options really close. Like, right. I mean, I, my house is, my house is like a mile from the, the Adirondack lodge road. Uh, oh. So like, you know, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I mean, of course, then you got to drive down the Adirondack lodge road, which is, you know, I don't know, five miles, but yeah, I'm, I'm very close to it. So I'm fortunate in that regard. So what were your favorite and least favorite and what was the most difficult on your 46 journey? Hmm. Uh, on the 46er registration, I wrote my favorite was, um, Algonquin, um, because I just remembered that day when I hiked it, you know, when you're hiking and you get to that point in the day where you just say like, yeah, I'm ready to be at the summit now. I'm ready. Or like the first summit, let's say, or if you're only doing one, like you're ready to be at the top now, like the, like the, the, the joy of like the start, the adventure, the whole thing, like it's kind of worn off and you're ready to get at the top, eat a sandwich, relax, enjoy the views. I think I wrote Algonquin because right as I got to that point, boom, we were at the summit. So like it, it just, you know, it was just like, it was the right, I think it was exactly two hours and 20 minutes. And at that point it was like, we broke tree line and then you're at the summit very shortly after. So I remember well doing my first round. That was it. Um, and Algonquin's the second tallest peak. It's, you know, 360 degree view. It's a fun hike. Um, but, uh, that's what I wrote as my favorite. I would change that now though. And 
now if you know gun to my head i would i would just say mount marcy is it and that's the tallest peak it's you know it's the big one um i have a lot of good hiking memories and you know if, if i were to take like my top five hiking memories uh two of them involve a sunrise on mount marcy one in the winter and then one in the summer and to me that was just like that mountain has a, a definitely a soft spot in my heart now so i would change it to marcy now but the first time around yeah algonquin was what was my favorite due to the view the hike that just kind of mm-hmm. like it just was firing on all cylinders that day and my least favorite i wrote was um was cliff uh hmm. in my podcast if you listen to the episode uh marcy skylight gray cliff and redfield it was a gigantic day uh marcy skylight and gray alone is um is i believe it's a 19 mile trek and when i did that day when i was on top of mount marcy so i had i hit gray and skylight on the way up to mount marcy but at that time it was like 11 30 in the afternoon because i start really early yeah. And I was like, it's only 1130. It's a beautiful day. I'm, I'm, I'm looking down at Cliff and Redfield right now. If I just go back down where I came, get back to the junction, I go left half a mile and then boom, I'm at the junction to go up Cliff and up Redfield. It's like, and I had a hellish time getting to Marcy. Uh, I had to cross this area called the floating logs and that's yes. just a whole, that's a whole you know, can of worms in and of itself. So I basically said to myself, I was like, I don't want to come back through the floating logs i'm already here it's early so i was just like screw it i'm gonna do it and it was like looking back on it now terrible decision it was not (laughs) it was it it turned that what would have you know i would have finished marcy and got back felt great a big nice day but like done it like mid-afternoon but no it turned into an absolute trek and uh you know it's funny because it's like it's a mile up from the junction it's a mile up cliff and then i think it was 1.2 up redfield and then but in and it was half a mile just to get to the junction once i get down so in my brain at that time on top of mount marcy i didn't calculate well you have to double those mileages because yeah. you have to come back for starters and you also have to get down the mountain the, still, yep. which is still another few miles so it's like in my brain, when I was standing on top of Mount Marcy, all Feeling I was calculating, euphoric. yeah, all I was calculating was, okay, it's half a mile to the junction, it's a mile up cliff, and it's one point two up Redfield. That is only like, that is only like two and a half miles, more or less. That's nothing. Of course, I'm already out here. Let's do that. But it's actually no, it's five miles, and the mileage to get down, and it's eight miles back to the to the the trailhead so you know it's like i look back on it now and i just wasn't calculating like total mileages it was just like these little things that in my brain was it but long story short even though that was a long-winded answer uh cliff was what i wrote because my time getting up cliff was slow Mm. it's so muddy and i was it was the last peak of the day and on that day i was shocked and uh yeah that i just i just had one of those hellish times and i was you know I'm, i'm solo out there so it was a long, long day in your head. Um, you know, I didn't listen to music or anything like that when I'm out there. So it was just like a long, long day. And so Cliff, Cliff became a, has become like a, a joke on the podcast. And he's like, Cliff is the enemy, my enemy in the high peaks, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. But that it was, it was really just because it was like, I was dead. If right. I go and do Cliff and Redfield again, you know, another time, it's, you know, it's just Cliff and Redfield. It's of course, it'll be a great time. Great day. But uh, that day, 
during my high peak journey, it was uh, not so great. It was brutal, quite frankly. Well, it was a great episode to listen to. I mean, well, thank I you. Yeah, your experience was hellish, but it was a really good episode. That's another one of my favorites. Teaches us what not to do. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, people have asked me, I've gotten so many messages over the last few years. Um, People asking me about adding those together. Like, do do I think they should? And I'm just like, I'm never going to tell anybody to, yes, add those because I don't know what your hiking capabilities are. And I'm by no means, you know, some savage out there on the trail like some of these people doing these you know people like jonathan zaharic yeah that's nothing for him but i'm never going to encourage someone to add those because it is a gigantic day i think it was like 27 miles at the end and um i don't remember what the gain was but i it, i mean it's a lot it's five yeah. high peaks and all of them you go well not all of them but you go all the way up marcy and all the way back down marcy and again marcy's the biggest mountain in the, in the state and then you, you have to add skylight and gray but when you go up Cliff and Redfield, you go all the way up and all the way back down, all the way up, all the way oh. back down. So I mean, it's it's there's a lot of elevation gain. So yeah, it's a monster day. But uh, yeah, I would I never I always tell people I don't recommend it. That's that's my answer. I don't recommend it. But uh, you know, you know what your skill set is. You know, you can make the decision. But I do not recommend it. It's tough. And I couldn't agree with you more about Marcy. We've only done seven, but so far that is my favorite. I've done it three times now. Um, I have another hiking partner I don't go with as frequently, but um, I did it once by myself. And then I called this guy up and I was like, we have to go like immediately. And then I got tumbles up there. So that is my absolutely favorite peak in the park. And we just missed the sunrise, but we went on a close, so close, but it's okay. Cause we went on an off season day. We in woke June, up though, re- it was June, and it was a weekend. Which, oh, wow. And, yeah, it, and usually we still, busy. there was nobody up there. Had the summit to ourselves. Freaking That's great. Drinking That's great. coffee up there, whipping out the stoves, drinking coffee. Oh, sorry. Don't You're not supposed to whip out stoves <laughs> on top of these peaks. But <laughs> the coffee and the views, absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's just like, you know, people say, like, you know, what's the best view? And it's just like, I mean, I don't know. There's no, like answer to it but you can't go wrong with mount marcy it's there's a 360 degree summit view on the top and you're above every other mountain so like how can it get better than that right and yep. uh you know you look at haystack and you can see down into panther gorge and it's just like this monster gorge between the you know two monster mountains so yeah marcy i mean it's just like it's hard to beat and it's you know it's not surprising that you know you get a lot of marcy rats going up there in tennis shoes because they hear it's the biggest mountain so they're going to go up there even though most don't make it and it becomes a whole problem in and of itself but it's like you're going of course you're going to go to the tallest mountain because it's just going to be a great view and it's also a great hike it's not too you know it's long mileage wise but it's not not like steep gain, so mm-hmm. it's it's just it just kind of hits it checks a lot of good boxes. So that's why I just say Marcy's as good as it gets, in my opinion. It's great. Totally agree. But let's get into some more serious stuff and some current events. It seems like every month or every other month we hear about a rescue tumbles. What's the group that you follow? Tumbles. The one where I get the. Um... The news, the ADK news, is actually ADK Fun Police on Instagram. 
Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and they post screenshots of like DEC and Park Police reports. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's where I get most of my news. <laughs> you can also sign up for like if you just go to the New York State DEC site, you can sign up for the weekly newsletter, oh, and okay. uh, like you can you can pick and choose you know like what stuff gets sent to you. Um, oh, you know, cool. it's it's just one email on Sundays. You know, you sign up for something, and they send you an email every other day, and you're like, this was a mistake. Whereas the DEC though, it's it's just on Sunday. But then you, that's where you see like a lot of the stuff that he posts. He he you know he's copying and pasting from that or screenshotting from that newsletter and then you it'll it shows you like all of the the rescue calls and you you get to see like you know what what did the dec do this week it doesn't show all of them but like for the most part it's it's a it's definitely informative and a lot it's very popular people subscribe to it just to see what the rangers were up to this week and anyone who is hikes near is typically you know a fan of the rangers in general so yeah i definitely recommend uh checking that out but yeah, well, I'm very you. I'm very familiar with the ADK Fun Police uh, gentleman. Actually, it's funny. I don't know his I don't know his name, but we've we've uh, messaged uh, a million times on social media, and he and I see eye to eye on um, pretty much pretty much everything in general. I don't necessarily like we have very different styles, let's say, but uh, the philosophies behind what he believes to be uh, the way to go and what I believe to be the way to go is in terms of the ADK are line up pretty well. But uh, yeah, we have. I say we have slightly different styles and approaches to, to ours. But yeah, I I enjoy his page like anyone else. So what we wanted to ask you about was on the weekend of March 11th, a 63 year old hiker, uh, by the name of Thomas Howard, left from the lodge to do the trap dike. He was supposed to return on the 13th, and that's the first question I had. Like that's not a three-day hike although he was Mm -hmm. doing it in the snow so maybe Mm -hmm. that's why he figured three days but whatever um he didn't make it search and rescue found his body on the 18th so i'm going to throw three questions at you and then i'll let you take them apart so have you been following that story um what can you tell us about the trap dike and do you think that incidences like this will have a negative impact on access like are they eventually going to say don't do the trap dike or you have to have this special permit to do it what are your mm-hmm. thoughts um the, what was the first question again oh, i'm sorry all right so how, were you familiar with that story yeah okay yeah so that's right was i following yeah i mean definitely been following uh it's a really unfortunate situation and uh you know these stories happen pretty frequently. I should, I should say like, I mean, there's at least someone, at least one person dies every year out on the trail, whether it's in the summer from this, you know, heart attack, this, or, you know, that winter. And, you know, I always say like, you know, the winter can kill you out there real quick. And, uh, it's no joke. The thing is with this, with this hiker in particular, and what I've learned and, you know, from, I guess like you could call it somewhat insider information, but it's really not that insider in general, just from talking to people who were involved with the search and rescue. Um, this guy was a very seasoned hiker um, and just outdoorsman in general, in terms of the, what you mentioned, you know, I don't know if he was, if he was supposed to return home, home on the 13th, two days later or three days later, or if he was supposed to return from, you know, from the hike uh, from the woods that I don't know. And I haven't been able to find that out. 
because like like what you said yes it's a it's a one day it's a day hike mm-hmm. um right now, unless he wanted to winter camp which is you know it's very Possibly. popular thing yep. to do people do it and if this guy if this gentleman was uh you know a seasoned person he uh he might have been that i don't know um but yeah i've, I've definitely been following the story quite a bit um what was question number two so sorry i should have written these yeah, down that's okay um can you tell us about the trap dike the trap dike yeah sure so the trap dike is your your rock climbing basically to get up the entire mount colden and uh it is people die on it in it all the time it's very you know you 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 could you could fall fall very far and it happens um it's not it's a it's popular because you see people's like cool photos from it and it looks awesome and it's just you know kind of like this badass trail even though it's not a trail uh, it's just it's a way up a mountain that is way more technical than anybody quite understands before they get there so it's one of those things where it's like i never say go do the trap dike i only say go to the trap dike with someone who's done it before for starters um that's like baseline like if so, if you're going with people who have never done it that's a huge problem because so often too there's a lot of re- there's so many rescues in the summer on the trap dike because people get they get up on the rock a rock up on a slide and they just freeze and like you know you we've all had we've all had dreams you know where it's like you're really high up and you, you're afraid you're about to fall and you're like gra- grasping on to stuff and like picture that like kind of feeling that you've had like you know sleeping but like in real life like you're you you you're frozen you can't move and you're in trouble so that's that's why like it is it is so serious and then you add the winter and winter like you know i mean this is ice climbing at this point but yeah um i don't know uh it's it's just it's it's by far like the trail in the park that's that is only for the advanced of the advanced let's just put it that way yeah you could people get up it and uh, but again, just go with people who have done it before, because that will make all the difference to actually coach you into, you know, people have done it successfully. And I say that successfully, just because you've tried it, you kind of have an idea doesn't mean you've made it to the top yet. But uh, it's it's a uh, in terms of this gentleman, um, again, I don't know all the details, but from what I've read and, you know, which is probably not a ton more than what you two know, but. I feel like he made most of the mistakes that you can make. Um, and it's especially with, with winter hiking, he went a to the trap dike alone. So that's a problem. B he went literally the day that we had a snowstorm that, that uh, 11 inches of snow yeah. to my front yard in Lake Placid. No, I mean, who knows what type of snow was brought into the back country that day and, and there was a weather advisory i mean it was friday morning was a weather advisory and he went out friday he went out on friday so i mean it's it's really it's really unfortunate but again i don't know i don't know all the experience or all the details of that other than just you know just these are the facts as to what went down mm-hmm. that day um going alone going to the trap dike in the winter Again, that's even more advanced, obviously, and going in the gigantic snowstorm. Yeah. So, you know, when you when you make these mistakes, you know, Mother Nature doesn't care about us. I say it all the time. You have to respect those mountains and respect Mother Nature. I mean, does not care about you, your feelings or 
anything, it will treat you the way you deserve if you if you if you disrespect it. And unfortunately, I you know I, it just that's what happened. Bottom line is that's what happened. Bad mistakes were made, and unfortunately, it cost this gentleman his life. Um, I don't know what he had in terms of avalanche um, avalanche safety. You know, I don't know if he had you know the uh, the um, balloons that you got not balloons but you know the what do they call them uh, the airbag that you can have in your yeah. backpack the avalanche airbags there um i don't know what if he had an avalanche beacon i don't know any of that stuff um and if you don't know an avalanche beacon is like basically like a, a radio slash um satellite phone so like you can a tell show people where you are if you need help and it's also a radio like a walkie-talkie um oh, cool they're and they're you know they're designed for when you're stuck under the snow uh, so it's yeah i mean it's they're serious business but what happened was he was caught in an avalanche um and in a day when the, when the snow was as crazy and stormy as it was that's what happens and um that's what it that's what happened to him and it's really sad it's it's a complete tragedy um he's only in his like low 60s way too soon but uh it does seem like just an, another situation of when someone doesn't respect the mountains and it happens in the outdoors everywhere. But I mean, in the Adirondacks, it, I mean, it happened, like I said, I think, I mean, probably one or two people die out there a year, but some, you know, sometimes it's a heart attack mm-hmm. on a mountain. They shouldn't have been up. Sometimes it's a fall. I remember a few years ago, um, you know, when you're coming in on route on uh, 70 route 73 and you're, you're coming down the down the hill and you see gi- and giant mountain trailheads are oh, kind yes. of on your right yeah. and you yeah. pass um the roaring brook uh yep. waterfall uh i mean it's like maybe it's who knows now like 2020 2021 are kind of a blur maybe it was five or six years ago at this point you know those years kind of don't count but <laughs> someone fell off fell off that waterfall because they were messing around and trying to get that picture and down they went and like stuff like that happens often too. So it's, again, it's, it's, you know, you must respect, you must do your homework. And in terms of, you know, I'm a lot more lenient in the summer than I am in the winter in terms of what I tell people, because winter hiking will kill you real fast. If you, if you make make a mistake, uh, there's no playing around. I don't care about your feelings. I don't care about anything like that. Uh, it, it is a serious, serious business. So, to me, just a lot of mistakes were made with the biggest mistake being going solo and going in a snowstorm. Maybe he didn't know there was a snowstorm. I'm not sure. Um, I, well, obviously, I don't know. But, you know, it was we, we knew weather. snow was coming. Yeah, we knew, I mean, we knew snow. We knew a storm was coming on Friday, you know, on Monday. Yep. So I don't know. I don't know what to say with that. It's just it's really unfortunate. Uh, it was avoidable. And it's but it is unfortunate. I'm not trying to. uh you know, talk bad about anyone, but the situation when you just look at it, you know, from from an outsider's perspective as a whole, these are the mistakes that were made. Now, you, your third question was in terms of um, do I think that will limit access or anything? I don't think so at all. Um, okay, good. I mean, this is public land. I mean, they're trying. <laughs> that's a whole other conversation, <laughs> I guess. But like, there's, it's this is public land, and you know. It's so. I mean, the the trap dike is so far back there. I mean, what are you going to do? You're not going to put someone back there, like patrolling the trap dike. No, you can't go up there. No, what are you going to do? Put caution tape? No, you're not going to do anything like that. And if someone needs a needs a rescue, you're not going to say you're, we're not coming to rescue you because you're going up the trap dike. It's just one of those things where it's it's more. You know, 
I am never about limiting access to any sort of public land or at all. I am against it in every stretch of the imagination As at all times, at all times. Um, but no, I don't think it's going to limit anything. Like I said, there's a, so many rescues uh, increasingly more and more at the trap deck. It's almost like every week I see that helicopter going over my house right. towards the high peaks. Um, and then I'll see on Sunday, oh, rescue at the trap dike, oh, rescue at the trap dike. Um, it's just, it's, it definitely comes down to one of those, like, education is key, um, letting people know this is not, this is not the, the trail for you unless you, you know, can check these boxes in terms of, like, experience level, gear level, equipment level. Um, how are you with heights? How are you with open heights where, yeah, a fall will kill you. You slip, you will die. You know, how are you with those sort of sort of things? And at the same time, at the end of the day, we are free people and we will go do uh, we will go do what we're going to do. That is uh, that is kind of what that comes down to. You know, we're going to do whatever we're going to do. So you can just try to you can tell people the information that they need to know. And at the end of the day, they're going to make their decision. And that's all that's all I think we can do. But I, I don't foresee this you know, limiting access to the trap dike. Um, I think there's other organizations trying to limit access, uh, in a slimy secret way, hmm. but, uh, that's at the, 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 uh, St. Hubert, Osable club kind of parking area there. But no, I don't, I don't foresee that doing that for the trap dike or like, you know, the kind of that high peaks, Lake Colden area in general. Good. Um, because we are definitely, we're, of the same mind, we are definitely against limiting access to any public land at all. And we ended up um, really thinking about what we were going to do that weekend. We were supposed mm-hmm. to go yes, to right. the Shenandoah in the mountains, and we nixed that. And then I was thinking of going up to up by you, the Adirondacks. And even though Sunday the weather was going to be great, I was like, no, I'm not sure that we should be messing around with at least a foot of fresh snow on these peaks. So mm-hmm. we nixed that. We ended up in the freaking Pine Barrens because there was no snow there. So mm-hmm. you really have to think about what you're doing. And you're right. We knew that there was going to be a storm a week in advance. So, yeah, we are definitely up the so same So it, like, line. ruined every, every idea that we had. Mm-hmm. Nowhere was safe. And well, I'm not we'd saying... rather be disappointed that we didn't get to do a hike than, right. you know, I not come home to my wife, Tumbles yeah. not go home to, you know, her family. Yeah. It's... yeah. And I'm not saying, like, you know, don't go out in a snowstorm. Like, I mean, I've been out in so many snowstorms uh, in the winter, but it, I'll also go up, like, I'll go up Mount Joe, a mountain I go up once a week, yes. you know, because yes. it's, it's fun in a snowstorm in that regard. But like, that's why I say, like, what he chose was not correct it was just not correct it was the wrong you're you're you know you're six miles seven miles back uh it's just not the right place and i and you know just because there's a foot of snow doesn't mean you know shouldn't get out like you know breaking trail it's just like it's what you do and sometimes it's you know it's fun to be out in the snow but you got to make the right decisions and you also have to know your limitations and your experience level and what you know you know you can go out in a foot of fresh snow and you have to break trail and um you kind of have to know how to read the trail when you're, you know, you get so used to following like trail markers or following like trails, mm-hmm. but then you throw snow on the ground and suddenly in, a, you know, in open hardwoods, like you don't know where the trail is because it all kind of looks the same. So there is, you know, an experience level where you start when you're breaking trail to like, or, you know, when there was fresh snow to 
kind of see the trail. And I always find like if you kind of cross your eyes a little bit, you'll be you'll be drawn right to where the actual trail is. It, it's it's weird, but it it's surprisingly works quite well. Um, but yeah, you just gotta know. And you know, sometimes some people love that. Some you know, I have friends who just like they live for breaking trail, and then I live for hiking right behind them. I'll let exactly. you guys. <laughs> yeah, I'll go right behind you. We're uh, right yeah. there with you. Now, but yeah, yeah. Speaking of as an aside, Mount Joe. How long is that hike, and what's the elevation of that mountain? Uh, Mount Joe is quick. I mean, it's like I think it's point nine miles up. Uh, it's 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 great because it's I, I always call it like it's like my uh, my exercise mountain. It's like <laughs> long enough to just to like get your you know break a sweat, get your heart pumping, and but short enough to like I don't have to think about it. I right. just I'm just gonna go up Mount Joe. I don't I you know I don't bring a water bottle. I don't bring anything. I just go run up it because it's 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 short, and then I do it once a week um but it, uh, it's probably I, I don't remember what the gain is but it it i think it's like 800 feet of gain in a mile it's oh. it's definitely and another reason i like it's because it's a good high peaks warm-up because there's a good maybe maybe like third of a mile that is as steep as anything you're going to experience in the high peaks so it's like it's a good kind of warm-up to you know, how'd you do during this section? Because that's what it looks like in the high peaks. Um, that's why I like it. But there's also the longer trail. There's a short, a short trail and a long trail. And the long trail, I think, is like 1.3. But it, you know, it goes around and kind of skirts up the mountain, slightly different. It's you know longer and slightly easier on the lungs. But the short trail is what I always go. So it's just quicker. Yeah, there's some sections that just go straight up, and but it's not that long. You know, it's 0.3 miles as opposed to going straight up for two miles, like if you're going up to Dix or something. But, um, yeah, it's a quickie. It's a it's a great mountain. Probably the mountain I go up more than anything at all because it's again, it's just like a. I want to get in the woods. I'll get up. I'll get up the summit to the summit in like 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Hang up there. Hang out up there for 15 minutes and then come back down. It's like an hour top mm-hmm. to bottom, and it's just like yeah, great time. Oh, that's cool. great. Highly recommend. We will have to do that tumbles maybe when we do our revisiting Whiteface. Good idea. Um, yeah, we had to abandon Whiteface, James. We got within a couple hundred feet of the summit. And wow. then, like you said, it, it's just not worth it. We don't play around. We were starting to get way too cold, even with good gear. And we were like, done. We'll come back. Mm-hmm. Sure. We'd rather Would rather do that than have a problem. So. Yeah, it's better to play it safe, and uh, you know that's that tends to be when you get yourself in trouble, and especially once you, once you once you get certain mountains, you know, once you leave tree line, you know, you might think like you're only a couple hundred yards from the summit. I'm just gonna keep going, but in the wrong conditions, yep, the couple hundred yards, it's like, well, you can make one little mistake coming back down, and you have no idea where you are now. And now you could be a hundred yards to the right of where the trail is, but you have no freaking clue. And, uh, that's why, yeah, it's, it's, it's no bueno in the winter to make those, make those calls. And I know plenty of people that'll die before they'll turn around and, uh, it will eventually bite them. Unfortunately, it will eventually, they'll put themselves in a rough situation, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's better to play it safe. And, uh, the mountains aren't going anywhere. The trails aren't going anywhere. And, uh, if anything, it's an excuse to come back. And it's also fun to hike a mountain for a second time. Oh, I remember this junction. Oh, I yeah. remember that mm-hmm. rock because we sat here and we did this. That's cool. <laughs> it's like, you know, I had this vision of this, like one random freaking rock and tree 
like in the whole world, but like I'm back here now. I remember this. It's I think I think that's fun personally. Like there's this one rock you mentioned Phelps. There's a rock with a tree wrapped around it right at the junction where you turn left to go up Phelps. And like I I have visions of that tree constantly. So like when I'm actually there, it's like, ah, oh, there's that rock and that tree again. I love I always think about this this rock and tree just sitting out there in the woods and now I'm back at it, you know, three, four, or five miles back into the woods. I like that. I like that feeling. Maybe it's nerdy, but I'm into it. Well, when we can't remember names of peaks or anything, we say, all right, remember those three rocks we had to jump over and then, you know, crank fell in the water or something. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, I, right. yeah. <laughs> Naturally, I mentioned him and not me and I'm, I'm tumbling. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> mm-hmm. So we don't want to keep you too much longer we might if you're willing in a couple weeks or whatever because i want to talk about the history of the park itself but it doesn't look like we're going to get there tonight so if you're willing to come back in a couple weeks or a month or whatever that would be amazing and we could do just you know we could probably because we're historians as well we could probably run an hour just on the history of the park but we can't let you go without talking about the quote-unquote controversy of overcrowding. We've kind of alluded to it um, a couple of times in this episode already. But um, especially during COVID and even before then, these peaks have become more and more popular and there's more and more people out there every year, which is a very, very good thing, but not everyone think so and there is a concern with overcrowding and tearing up the trails and some of the solutions that have been um enacted for that quote-unquote problem Mm -hmm. um we have not found we don't agree with some of those solutions and in some cases we kind of feel like as we're not welcome because we're out of state and a lot of it is geared towards limiting people who are not in that area from coming as often like for example putting spikes in parking areas <laughs> yeah. a, a permit system now um yeah go for it because i know you have a lot to say about this <laughs> well i mean we'll have to have we'll have to do like three episodes then if you want, want to get into this subject now the truncated version then i uh yeah i i am as i mentioned i am not about limiting access in any stretch this is public land let it be public land. And once you give it away, you're never getting it back. Mm-hmm. Case in point, what's happening at the Osable Club with this permit system. And now I'm all for if they want to do like a parking permit, I'm all for it. That's fine. That is your property. Yes, there is an easement to allow access through your land, a state easement. So, yes, we we do have the right to go through your land to go to these trails. Uh, but if you want to charge for parking, you want to do a parking permit system, I have no problem about it. Um, it's also great for people like yourself who want to make a, a reservation and know that you will have a parking spot at the trailhead as opposed to like, you got to get there. And if there's no spot, find a different you know mountain to hike. What I'm not about is that they also don't allow people to be dropped off. They don't allow oh. you to walk in. Like, well, so now you're actually – now you're restricting access. You're just straight yeah. up restricting access. You're going to tell me that I can't get dropped off and walk in and you're going to actually try to stop me from – no. I don't – I could not agree with that more. It's shady. It's 
there's something that's not right about all of that. And, you know, again, I, I feel very strongly when it comes to, you know, government inter interference or with anything, once you give it away, you're never getting it back. So I don't believe in, in changing any, in those things. Um, as far so, as over, I'm sorry if I yep. could interrupt. Sure. What is because I'm not familiar. So what is their permit system like? What do you have to do to sure? I mean, you just area? so it's between. I think it's like May first to October thirty first or something like that, which is you know prime you know mm -hmm. typical hiking season. Um, you have to go on their website and you have to fill. You know, you you pay to get a parking permit, and you know you can get you get your, you have a spot at in their parking uh, parking lot. And then you can go hike, but they'll tell you that you can't also just walk in, which is what yes, is the weird ridiculous. thing to me. It's like, oh, I'm not using your parking lot. I'm just using the state easement. Thank you. I am a taxpayer. I'm using the yep. easement here. But they also are, are stopping, trying trying to, and also stopping people um, from doing those sorts of things. Now, I always start very early, so I'll just go, I'm just going to walk right in. Uh, but that's, to me, that's, that's exactly what the problem is. Like, you know, slow your roll. You want to charge for parking and do that. I'm all for it. That's fine. You have every right. It's your, your property. You want to, you have parking here. You should make some money on it. Have at it. You want to do a permit system, have at it, but not to just access these trails because these are, this is state land. So that's where I have the problem with it. And that's at the Osable club, but there are other ways around all of those trails to hit all of those mountains. They're just, you know, you're going to put in a lot of extra miles on, you know, going up this trail and over here and then down here. And it's just, you know, it's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. And I knew, you know, they called it a pilot system last year. They're like, no one panic. It's just a pilot system, but it's like mm -hmm. anyone who can read between the lines. Yes. Knows, nope. Yep. Give it away once and you're never getting it back and it's gone. And there's yep. not even a shuttle system. Like, there's not even a shuttle system. Okay, let's 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 utilize the Marcy Field parking lot that they keep trying to push people to use, right? And then make a shuttle system that'll just drop you off at the at the. And you front can make money lot. off of that. I know, <laughs> it's, it's it's crazy to me, um, <clears throat> but uh, they, so you also mentioned um, overcrowding. So the overcrowding argument is, um, yeah, it's quite it's an interesting term. It's very vague. It doesn't explain anything. Um, you know, what is overcrowding? What number is overcrowding? Is 20 people on a summit too many? Okay, so is 19 okay, but 20 is not? You know, it, it's it's too vague and it doesn't explain anything. And of course, these trails in the ADK are, you know, they are, uh, they're busy, let's say they're busy because people are retreating to the outdoors more and more. Um, but also, they're busy because and they're kind of like, you know, getting getting beat up because there is so many people using them. But the, the, the question is, what is too many? And none of these trails were designed for even the amount of, you know, the amount of foot traffic that they received 20 years ago, let alone in the last five years. You know, these trails were cut quickly. They were cut to just get tourists up the mountains. They were not there was no, you know, um long-term trail um what's the phrase the word um sustainable trail design yes. that was not part of it when they were cut so of course there's they're they're gonna be you know beaten up and um to me this whole idea of like let's let's 
keep people out is just the exact opposite approach. You know, people don't come here. Every town dies. You've driven through the Adirondacks. There's some hurting towns in this park. And uh, imagine how much, how freaking sweet this park would be if these towns were all like these bustling little, like little hubs in like the Eastern ADK, the Southern ADK, the central, like you drive from these little hubs to hubs. It would be so awesome if there was all these different little Lake Placid type towns scattered throughout the park. So to me, I don't really think that there's an overcrowded overuse issue, which is a buzzword and I, I hate it. Uh, I, I think it's obvious that the trails weren't designed for this, but I think the word overcrowding and overuse is just a buzzword and erosion and all these things. It's just, it's not quite, it's not accurate, but it becomes popular to say, and it just seems to be about limiting people here as opposed to changing infrastructure, upping infrastructure, investing money to, to better these things. And in my opinion, the only way around this is a generational approach. Mm-hmm. When I say that, I mean, it's going to take, multiple generations to finally do this and you start with let's start with the high peaks let's start with the most used trails we're going to build a new trail up you know up cascade and porter okay we're going to build a brand new trail it's going to have sustainable design it's going to be done like they do like the real companies do out west and that might take five six years okay then we move on to the next one what's the let's take mount marcy uh Let's take Mount Marcy and we're going to we're going to do the same thing. And it's going to take a generation, you know, or two generations. It, it might be 60, 70 years, but like that's the approach. There is no short term fix. It's like, let's do that so that these trails and these mountains are now, you know, kicking butt. And they're 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 what they're what it should be. But it isn't because it was never designed for this to begin with. You know, this boom and, you know, for example, the Adirondack 46ers, I think in like the early 2000s, they were at like 3000 finishers. And now 20 years later, and that that's been around since um, I believe I don't remember what year the first 46er was. I should know that Uh, long, long time. But in the last 20 years, now they're up to like 14000. So, you know, the you know, it might have taken like 80 years for the first 3000 people and then you know, 9,000 people over the next 20 years. So like, obviously it's, yeah, it's busy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, these, these trails, they, they were just never designed for this. So we need to take the approach that will take a long time. It will involve money. Uh, but there's organizations and let me tell you something, there's also people willing to spend money and to donate money. You could, you could 100% raise a large amount of capital going back just to go back to the mountains, to go back to the trails, um, to start this approach. And I, to me, that's, that's the only way it's going to take a long time, but like do it right. And, uh, I think that that is ultimately the best situation. Cause I'm kind of a bottom line type person. Bottom line is, you know, the trails do need some help and, uh, it's not, there's not a quick fix. Quick fixes don't work. Band-aids don't work. They're trying to put band-aids yep. in various places, but it doesn't work. So, you know, take that approach one mountain by one mountain and know it's going to take 50 years. And I think that's, I think that's the way to go about to make it so you're not limiting people, this idea of limiting people. And I don't know why people don't get up in arms over this idea of being limit. You're not allowed to access state land. Like how do you not have a problem with that? That's exactly what this is for. Um, I have a huge problem with it, obviously. And uh, I think that is 
that's definitely my, in a nutshell, my feelings on this whole subject uh, in general. And it's a huge subject. Again, you can do a whole episode on just that concept yeah. in the ADK. And I, ha- I've, you know, I've had chats with different people about it, but um, that's kind of in a nutshell how I feel. We couldn't agree more. Um, we just did an entire episode on this because that is the trend, not just in the Adirondacks, but with the national parks as well. Yeah. And we just were in Shenandoah to do the old rag trail. And it's the same thing. You have to reserve a parking spot. And then they put... Um, well, this was to curb. This this was put in place basically because they saw how many people were coming to these parks during COVID. Everything was yeah. closed. Yeah. So what are these people supposed to do? Twiddle their thumbs? No, they're going to go outside, which is the safest place to be. Yeah, so, and free. And free. Yes. So now they, even though it's a small amount, they will raise it. There's not yeah. an if. Um, but yeah, then these fees just started up. And I said many times during COVID because this conversation was like huge around where I live during 2020 and 2021 about people up in arms over there's too many people. There's no the you know parking, this and that. It's like you can't make these big sweeping declaration decisions during a, you know, unprecedented times that are going to go away. Like this is not the normal. This is because of what's yeah. happening right now. It's going to kind of level out again. So don't make these broad big life changing decisions right now based on this and this is this is an obvious kind of no-brainer situation but it it, it wasn't as no-brainer i guess to other people and the people who are up in arms over saying we need to make these decisions um and it, it, earlier you mentioned the spikes in the parking along route 73 uh, i'm pretty sure those are coming back uh you know, I think they were taken out for snowplow purposes, but I'm sure they'll be back in there as eyesore as eyesore could ever yeah. be. And it's just it's really crazy. These these pull offs were designed for people to pull off and to park their car. So why suddenly is that a problem? It's yeah, it's a whole thing. It's a it's it's a mess, in my opinion. Agreed. And as people who are we feel like out of I'm speaking for you, Tumbles. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> it, it's pure gatekeeping. Yeah, uh, because it is. it's it's strictly designed to keep people who don't live near the area out. Um, and as you know, outdoors people from New Jersey, and we are very very respectful of the trails. We are um, not as experienced as you, James, but we are rapidly increasing our skills every year. And I would consider us. Um, you know, pretty skilled outdoorsmen. And it's it's rather insulting to have this gatekeeping attitude. Mm-hmm. But um, you mentioned, and we will wrap it up here soon, but I did want to squeeze in one more question. You mentioned it would be awesome to have all of these hubs, like these little Lake Placids all around. When we were yep. up there in February and we started to explore other towns besides Lake Placid, we said the exact same thing. And we noticed you have Lake Placid, um, pretty well developed, although I was really pissed. It took me 45 minutes to find a parking space to get a drink and a a burger. But um, there's obviously a lot of resources there, a lot of money. And then you have down the road, Ossible Forks, which Mm -hmm. is not very well developed, got destroyed by flooding. What do you attribute that disparity 
two um because you have like this wonderful draw that will bring people in we were wondering why is lake well obviously the olympics right. but why is lake placid lake placid and awesome forks awesome forks sure yeah lake so i mean lake placid is they're the they're obviously the main attraction in the adk um and for good reason it's a town that never stops there's always a new event uh you know every month there's at least like one to two like big events whether it's you know an ironman race or can-am hockey tournaments or you know world cup bobsled and luge like there's always events so this town this town knows who it is and it, it does a great job now if you the further you go down let's say route three you get to saranac lake there it's definitely a more locally town mm-hmm. and then the further you get to tupper lake and it's like even more locally and it's like they get worse off as you go uh lake placid is one of the only towns that has continued to constantly evolve and if you come up here right now it's like we're still like everything is getting revamped and redone and they're always building and advancing but of course there's money here because of the events so like it does go hand in hand um i think and i'm always pushing this to people like hey want to move to the adk you should go to one of these you know you can't find housing yeah lake placid is is very challenging um but like you go to these other towns like Osable forks for example you, you can definitely afford a house there you're gonna drive but like you're still in the wilderness you're here and uh to me it's it really is just towns have just slowly you know kind of slowly started to dwindle but it's also it's no it's not like it's it's necessarily unique to um the adirondacks it's it's just That's small t- small towns in general you know, I don't know how you old you guys are, but you look around the same age as myself. But like our generation have flocked to the cities and the small towns like Vermont, for example, like I see commercials on TV for like Vermont trying to like entice its young community to stay, mm-hmm. but they're not. Uh, so other, you know, it's 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 happening everywhere. And I don't think it's just an ADK thing, but Osable Forks is Osable Forks because there's there's not the local draw, you know, that you need. You need, you know, you need restaurants, you need bars, you need uh, recreation activities. You need to bring people in, and we know in the ADK it's tourism, but like you need you need infrastructure, and you know, it's you know city planning really, and it, it's there. It's definitely the million dollar question is how to get these places, you know, bustling again. And if the, if the whole park was bustling, all these towns, and you could go to Old Forge, and Old Forge has its own identity. You know, you go to Lake George. Lake George has its own identity, and those are you know within the park. Um, of course, everyone that lives in the Adirondacks will say Lake George is like kind of technically in the park, but not really. <laughs> but they, even even though like geographically they like kind of are. Um, but like certain towns definitely have done better than others and it's because there's money coming in and reason to constantly build and uh but how do you build up a town i think it's you have year-round residents who are committing to life here and it does kind of go back to starting you know like how did any town started people this guy opened the barbershop this guy opened the hardware store this guy opened that and then you know every it's a circle every everyone supports each other because you know you need a haircut and you need a hammer um And it's like that just how any communities are really built. So I think honestly, I think like that's kind of the approach. Like it has to kind of go back to that really basic concept to build these towns. But ultimately, to me, there becomes more Lake Placids when younger people, uh, families in general, people with kids like that's it's that's 
that's an easy statistic as to what builds um, communities is uh, people with, with kids, young families. That way, generations are now here, multiple generations. Um, it, it, it comes down to committing and just do, you know, government coming up here. And actually, when I knew with COVID, with like this whole remote working thing, I've known a lot of people that have moved up here now because it's like now you can make that living that you can afford and you can you know, work from home so you can work wherever you want. And I've seen, a, there's, I could name like half a dozen people I know that moved up here full time and committed because they now had that remote work opportunity. And, uh, you know, that to me, that opens a lot of doors actually. And, um, I think it comes down to those, the Osable forks of the areas you buy the houses, you fix it up. And, uh, as time goes, you know, you have all these, you have more hubs than just, you know, the Lake Placid tri lakes area. And then, you know, in the southern 80K, there's a lot of money in that Northville, um, Pasico area, too. There's quite a bit of money down there. But I do think it comes down to year-long residents, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And that that will build build the infrastructure. That was a very, very thoughtful. Long-winded? <laughs> no, no, no. Thoughtful and thoughtful. answer. Um, yeah, I want to go back real quick. To sure. one thing you said before we move forward uh, earlier, I meant I wanted to mention this, but we got into that question um, when we were talking about the gatekeeping element. Um, just to just to go back to that real quick, sure. the big reason that and with with you know overcrowding and like so many people came up during COVID and when so many new people come to the outdoors and they don't know about the whole you know idea of the leave no trace principles and the lifestyle and like outdoor protocol and rules and not that they're rules, but you know, you know what I'm saying? Um, to me, the reason I hate this idea of gatekeeping is the outdoors is a, it's a, it's a need for anyone and everyone wants different levels of it. Um, but some people want to be straight up in the back country and some people just want to go for a walk, uh, in their park, but like put them in the woods and they want to die. So like there's different levels of it, but everyone wants it. But I feel like when you keep people out of places like the ADK or, or all these national parks because they don't have the experience, yeah, people are going to make mistakes. And any any person you know in the outdoors, they think back to when they first started doing these activities and they're like, oh, man, I was such an idiot back then. But you learned. You, yes. You learned. And now, and now I think the only way – you create real stewards of the land and why I'm so big and like wanting to get people like to bring the Adirondacks to you, wherever you live via my podcast is because I want to create stewards of this land because I love it so damn much. And I want you to experience it as well. And I think the only way to do that is to create opportunities for people to have a good time in the, in the outdoors. Like if you don't have a good time, in the outdoors, you're never going to become an advocate for it. You're not going to become a steward of the land, as I always say, because you didn't have a good time. So you need to not close that gate and you need to yes. encourage people and, you know, educate in a nice way. Not, and I don't mean like all this like freaking Facebook shaming you see mm-hmm. people do yes. that is so counterintuitive. Yeah. Yes, it's so pointless. Um, there's nice ways to do it and there's not nice ways to do it. But to create stewards of the land, people need to have a good time and a good experience in the outdoors. And that's how you then create a lot of people who are all about it and are with you. And that's, that's the key people who are with you. And, uh, that's, that's the way to do it. That's, that's why you can't keep people out. You have to nicely and gently show them. And at the same time, there's always going to be people 
that you just can't save. There's going to be people who don't give a damn if they throw their trash on the ground or they take a, take a dump right in the trailhead parking lot. They just won't care. No matter what you say, you could say, leave no trace this, leave no trace that. Hey brother, you know, maybe like, Nope, they do not care. You cannot save those people. That's what it is. I'm sure they're like that in other elements of their life too. However, because what the outdoors is and what we know it to be, we are going, people like you and myself, we're going to pull double duty because the outdoors deserves it, the Adirondacks deserves it, the national parks deserve it. You just have to do it. When you go into it with that mindset, you're ready to do the work, but you'll also find there's a lot more people um, who are at the same point as you are. And none of you were ever at, you didn't start at this point. You got to this point. And uh, that's, to me, that's the approach. And to keep people out, you're never going to build that community. And ultimately, actually, you'll, that the community will dwindle over time. So uh, new people in the outdoors is good. And people with experience in the outdoors take those people under their wing because they don't know what they're doing. And uh, whether they'll admit it or not, they really want some help. That's how I feel about it. That absolutely fantastic. And what you just said is 100% correct. Um, in our last episode, we were talking about uh, in Shenandoah at Old Rag Trail, they literally have National Park Service um, Post. rangers yeah. posted at road crossings, pull out your ticket, check your papers. And it diminished the experience, not completely, but it definitely diminished the experience. So what sure. you're saying is absolutely correct. And even the person who is taking a dump in the lodge parking lot or, or throwing their crap all over the trail. Um, they're still going to Stewart's and buying gas. They still might go to Noonmark Diner and buy a pie. So even though they are not respecting nature, um, money is good. They're- money helps. I mean, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're ignorant to say that it doesn't, you know, like it is, it is all part of the equation and, you know, they, and I know, dude, I know so many people who they'll tell you, yeah, I used to do that. I definitely wouldn't do it anymore. But there was a time where I did that. Great. Well, if, if you were thrown out the door at that point, you wouldn't have gotten to the point you are at now. So, uh, you know, there's, there's hope for everyone, but there's also at the end of the day, there's some people you can't save and, um, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Cause that's just, that's no different in any other element of life, but, uh, we can win more than we'll lose. I'm very confident in that. And when I say we, I mean the outdoors will do it. We don't, we don't, you and I don't need right. to do it. The outdoors, the outdoors knows what it's doing and it, it will do that. Fantastic. We are going to leave it there. Like I said, um, we would be more than happy to have you back just for <laughs> the questions we didn't get to, which is mostly the history of the region. I'm sure the three of us could go for another hour and a half just on that if you are sure. willing. Absolutely. But- this has been absolutely wonderful. What we an education. Cannot, yeah, we, we cannot thank you enough. Um, and we look forward to talking to you again. Absolutely. Yeah, next time you come up, you want to go up Mount Joe, hit me up. I'd love to love to hit oh, that we, up with you. I'm oh, up there all the time, to. so why not? We definitely will, James. Like now that yeah, we definitely will. Cool. So James, if you wouldn't mind, please share all of your socials so our listeners can follow you. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, I, my, uh, podcast is called the 46 of 46 podcast and, uh, the, um, Instagram page and Facebook pages are at 
46 of 46 podcast. And then my website is 46 of 46.com. And uh, on that website, uh, you can pick up an ebook I wrote called From 1 to 46, A Complete Guide to Climbing the 46 High Peaks. So if you are into the Adirondacks or you're interested in hiking up here and climbing the 46 high peaks that we talked about, that book uh, will answer all of your questions uh, start to finish as to how to pair the mountains, where to park, what to be aware of, you know, what to look for in this trail, that trail, things, things that you would like to know before you go that will ultimately help you not having to call a ranger to come get you. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I put that together because I just want to see uh, people with this information so that they can, as we've talked about, have a great time here in the ADK and become a, an advocate for uh, this six million acre park that I call home. Well, we appreciate you and all the work that you do to make this park as accessible and wonderful as possible. Again, thank you so much. Please stay on the line with us as we close out. Alrighty, friends, what an episode. It's been wonderful. We told you all of our stuff in the beginning of the episode, so you don't need to hear our voices again. And with that, ciao.